Hey folks, Duncan Kinney here, and uh, yeah, we're finally back from summer break. We haven't stopped writing stories or doing journalism, but we did take a little podcast break this summer to relax and recharge, but now we are back to our uh, regularly scheduled podcasting. Uh, And you are really going to enjoy the the episode we have coming up for you. It's an interview with Angus Quinton of Get Your Drugs Tested, and it's about how drug checking is not only good and cool and saves lives, but it could flip the whole script on the narrative around the drug poisoning crisis. I'd also be remiss to not mention that The Progress Report is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. And while there are a ton of amazing podcasts on the network that I could highlight, I just want to make one simple recommendation this time. And that's just follow Harbinger Media on your social media network of choice, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. It's a great way to keep on top of new shows that you should be listening to. Now, on to the podcast. Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here in Amiskwichiwaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is Angus Quinton, uh, the Technician Supervisor and Training Coordinator with Get Your Drugs Tested in Vancouver, BC. Angus, welcome to the pod. Thank you very much for having me on. So... Uh, you know, we had never spoken before this. You probably never heard of this podcast before, but you are a person uh, doing uh, interesting work, I would argue, and work that was highly relevant to um, a piece I just recently wrote for the Progress Report on drug checking. What, uh, what, like, walk if you were to describe your job description to like someone at a party, like, what would it be? Uh, <clears throat> Well, I am the, uh, as you said, the technician supervisor and training coordinator. So I started off here as an FTIR technician, a spectrometer technician, doing the analysis for uh, substances. But now I am responsible for training new technicians, um, including people who come here from different organizations throughout the province or the country. And... um, I'm responsible for making sure everything that flows through here at the site is proper and well taken care of. And like, what does that like mean? So like drugs show up in like in the mail, people walk in through the door, they hand you an envelope or a baggie, like, like walk us through like the day to day of what it is working at, like a full time drug checking facility. For sure. Um, we for most of our existence because we've been operating through covid for the vast majority of the time we've been open um they people would come to the front door we would take their samples um uh, and uh, take a bit of information from them just so we know uh, how to contact them and uh what they think the sample is if they've tried it or not uh they give that to us we process that information, we take a picture of it so it can go up on our website, uh, and then we will run um, those samples through the spectrometer. Uh, now that COVID is has eased up a little bit, um, we're back to letting people in the site, which has been a bit of a change, but has gone really well. People appreciate the ability to, to come in where it's a little bit more private, and uh, we also have air conditioning. It's been a 
pretty brutally hot summer, so people down here really appreciate just being able to come in, grab some water, grab some snacks, grab some gear, and just be not in the in the heat. Hmm. So you talk it. You're talking about it as a pretty like sanguine day to day thing. This is your job. This is what you do on a regular basis. But like, it, it is. Um, uh, what's the right way to put this? It is like rather uncommon. You know this this drug wide scale drug checking kind of like done with any type of volume is not uh, a service really offered anywhere else in North America. As far like unless you're aware of something that I'm not, but like, is, is there anyone else like get your drugs tested like in Canada, the United States? Not operating in a full time, every day, no barrier, no cost kind of a way. Um, we like the genesis of really this level of drug checking in BC started in the festival scene, which is where I started my harm reduction journey in. Um, ah, so yeah, you're a player kid. Is that what you're telling yeah, me? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, I started, um, uh, working with anchors at Shambhala music festival in 2008. And, right. uh, back then it was just, um, reagent testing and stuff like that. But in 2018, uh, through, with the help of the BC center for substance use, they started bringing up infrared spectrometers. So I, it, it's really sort of wide first wide practical application was at a fa- was at Shambhala music festival. Um, and then those machines kind of ended up in, pl- in stationary places all over BC, uh, including eventually get your drugs tested. Wow. So there you go. Shambhala is the, the genesis of this like actual real working harm reduction program. Yeah. That's, uh, that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, never like... would I thought like the village stage would be the like the promulgation of, uh, you know, like making sure that people uh, know aren't, aren't dying on the streets from bad drugs. But here we are. Exactly. Like if we want to think about like a real volume, um, at Shambhala this past year, we did over 3,000 tests over the course of five days, uh, which is wow. like, that's a, that's a full tenth of what we've done here at Get Your Drugs Tested in three years. So the, the, the volume done there is wild. Um, but even compared to other sites across BC, the volume we do here at Get Your Drugs Tested is wild. Yeah, so like just doing some basic extrapolation from those numbers. You're, so you're saying you guys have done around 30,000 tests we, in three yeah, years? Yeah, we've done just over 30,000 tests. Oh, wow. So like you guys have done the most drug testing, drug checking of like literally anyone on earth, like of the illicit drug supply. From my understanding, yes. And it's like, this is a this is useful information, yeah. right? Like this is wild that it's like some kind of like private... Um, I mean, obviously like you guys do good work and you, you mean well, and you guys hand out harm reduction supplies, but like the fact that like the state doesn't seem interested in knowing what's in the illicit drug supply, considering how many people are dying from the drug poisoning crisis blows my mind. It's true. And there are like, there are some groups and organizations and elements within the government that do want to know this information and use and do take 
the the information that we generate here at the site, along with the information generated from other drug checking organizations around BC, to sort of give an idea, try to get a, a grasp of what's going on. But even still, like you know, our site, all of the sites, we're only catching a small percentage of the substance consumers uh, in BC or in any of our respective areas. So yeah, it could always be more. Oh yeah, no, like yeah, the the amount of drugs consumed is like yeah, far higher than I mean, thirty thousand tests is a lot, but like you know, people are doing so much drugs all the time. Exactly. It's like and dying all the time that it's like yeah, you're a drop in the ocean, but it's still like a drop like no one has even tried to collect that drop until you guys started doing it right <laughs> it's it's true um you know we now that we've been in operation we've shown that this kind of thing is useful and is wanted in the communities other uh health authorities in the province have reached out to us to help with their training um and get advice and things like that so yeah, so like that transition from like, you know, plur rave kids kind of getting their MDMA tested to like, oh shit, like people are dying from poison drugs and like this can help people understand what they're putting into their body and hopefully not die. Like was this just like, you know, you and the people who were around when this thing got started was like this is not just for like psychonauts and rave kids. This can actually like save lives and can actually be a part of a like a public health a response absolutely um building the trust up from more day-to-day survival consumers um you know did did take a while and truthfully the technology isn't perfect we always try to emphasize the uh like the drawbacks and limitations of of these technologies um because they're they're fast and they're easy to use on on our end, uh, easy to operate, but they uh, can't see very small amounts of things. Uh, its detection limit is about 5%, and its margins of error when identifying things are about 5%. So for some substances, that's not a huge deal. And for some substances and some users, that is a huge deal. So like the difference between 5% and 10% fentanyl can be really big. For some users, yeah, it's not. Like it, it's five, really not. If five percent of if five percent of your cocaine is carfentanil, like that's really bad. Oh yeah, I mean, if even like one percent of your cocaine is regular fentanyl, you're in trouble because you only need yeah. a few milligrams in snuff in like insufflated to really uh, cause some problems, especially if you don't have a tolerance. So um, that's that's where the the test strips come in. Um, which are sensitive down to the nanogram per milliliter levels. So um, those are really good at picking up very small amounts of things that are active in those very low levels. So encephalated, that, that's like fancy uh, healthcare language for snorting. Uh, yeah, I, sorry. I do kind of fall back on my more like uh, clinical lingo here sometimes. But um, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Just stuff going up the nose. <laughs> Just so we know what we're talking about. All right. Um, 100%. So, like, walk walk us through the, like, the, the, the technical part of it, just for the layman. Like, how much of the drugs do you need? Like, how much do you – yeah, how much of the drugs do you need? You know, what can you test? Like, what – there? I assume there are certain substances that are just, like, you can't test. Like, you kind of talked to us, like, about how accurate are the results, but, like, how does it actually work? 
For sure. Um, we uh, you only need uh, about a half a grain of rice, or the, about the size of a match head, something like that. Uh, Ten milligrams is ideal. Um, then uh, that ideally is also a really well mixed, well homogenized sample. So uh, this, if if you're bringing stuff in, people who really well well mix their stuff beforehand. Uh, kind of allows for greater analysis. The, the the sensor on the machine is only about a few millimeters in either direction, and it only reads about three microns deep. So we don't need a lot of substance at all. It's just barely anything. Um, and that's also useful for the, the test strips as well. Uh, so we take your substance. Um, it can be almost anything that is powdered or crystal um, tablets, Really not organics. Those become very a lot harder to identify. They're very complicated, and the active ingredients are usually in really small amounts. Um, so you're uh, talking about like like cannabis flowers, can, yeah, cannabis, right? um, uh, mushrooms. Mm. Really, that kind of stuff is kind of there. Are, there are things that get a little bit closer to what we can test. Uh, opium. Uh, is okay, but like still kind of difficult to check. Uh, Changa, which is DMT sprayed on leaves, where we can kind of sometimes pick up because the DMT is on the leaf itself. Um, we can usually pick up some of that. Are you but, saying opium is still around and available? <laughs> uh, it is. It's wild. Um, okay. But uh, it's it's pretty rare. Um, it's more common probably than <clears throat> than heroin. But, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, heroin's just not really so a thing anymore. <laughs> people just, yeah, heroin is gone. It, is, it has been replaced by fentanyl, I guess. Eh? Well, and it becomes, it's, it's become more like the, the, like the boutique kind of opioid. Like it's the, it's, oh, yeah. it's, 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 I go to the fancy fancier. tea shop and get my, I go to the fancy tea shop and I get my like premium heroin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not like you wouldn't find heroin in the, the, the mixed opioid samples, like down you know all of the it, uh 10 years ago yeah probably her heroin could be found in there now it's all fentanyl or fentanyl analogs um and so 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 you guys have done the tests the thirty thousand some tests over three years you yeah. know people are sending you stuff that is just you know sold as down you know there's you're saying there's not heroin really in the in the illicit drug supply anymore or that you're saying there's more opium than there is heroin at least is uh, yeah. wild at least from what we test yeah yeah like you're i mean it's a small sample of the total illicit drug supply obviously but it's like the only you're the only ones doing it so i suppose my question is is that like how often are you guys finding fentanyl in something that is being sold as something else whether it's cocaine or mdma or ketamine or like like people are people when people get down like they're kind of expecting fentanyl is expected really in there right but like how often is fentanyl just showing up in stuff that isn't being sold as fentanyl it's quite rare and when that happens we will put an alert out on it because of how rare it is and how potentially dangerous it is people consuming opioids without with no tolerance potentially uh so we don't we've we've it's usually identified on the test strip as well when it does show up in in non-opioid samples. Um, so still a, a potentially dangerous amount, but um, 
still a small amount. The larger worries are when you get scenarios where someone has sold down as a different substance. We've had people come in who say, I bought this as MDMA. They told me it was MDMA. I took some. I overdosed non-fatally. What is happening? And they, someone has sold them down. Um, or uh, cocaine, you know, because down comes in all kinds of colors. So if it's like white, chunky stuff, they sell it as cocaine, it could be down. So it's it's rare, but it does happen. Mm. And so what, it, like, this seems so bizarre to me, because like, if I was a dealer, I'd be like, I mean, hopefully I would know what I was selling and I would sell it to the people when I sold it to the person to be like, this is what you're getting. Is it, is it is it malevolent in this case, or is it just like the dealer being just wanting to get rid of the product? Is the dealer just the not know what's in the product? Like, it, I guess you're. I mean, you're removed. You're one step removed from the actual person. Yeah. What, what, what's your best? What's your best guess? It's so hard to say. Um, some scenarios, it could easily be just a bag mix-up. Some person who sells both the things and they look similar, mm-hmm. and they aren't marked, and they just grab one, and they're like, yep, here you go. It's just a baggie. Just a baggie. Here's a baggie. Here's a baggie. <laughs> and then there's some folks who will get a supply of something, and they'll just sell it as whatever the person asked for. So we've had a few scenarios mm-hmm. recently where someone has, different people have brought in uh, stuff that they think is either like a benzo or a fentanyl or whatever. And it was uh, a cathinone, just like an entirely different, not even remotely close substance that wouldn't get, it wouldn't have the results of either, either things that was, it was sold as. It was just someone has acquired this stuff and to my best guess was just kind of like selling it as whatever people wanted. Jesus. Yeah. So I, you know, one thing that I mentioned in, in the article, one thing that kind of comes up frequently when you kind of start reading what people write about you know the the drug poisoning crisis is like the iron law of prohibition right like the idea that because drugs are illicit and because there are these um you know crackdowns by police and the authorities that like drugs are getting more powerful more concentrated over time so like have you seen that kind of play out in real time have you seen the iron law of prohibition like marching upwards in the concentration of the drugs that you guys are testing? It's kind of hard to say whether it's prohibition or the effects of COVID on the sort of international shipping industries that still was kind of rattled out. So we saw like an increase in benzodiazepines in the down. And, you know, that could, we don't, it's hard to say why it started, whether it was, hey, there's a crackdown on fentanyl, so it's harder to get, or it was just harder to get no matter what. And you still need something to kind of bump up the potency, so people are still happy. Um, or things like uh, the nitazine opioids, which are research chemical opioids that aren't really in being produced for you know authentic reasons but are starting to show up in down in counterfeit opioid tablets like oxys and hydromorphone and stuff like that um, which can be really tricky because much like fentanyl there's a th- thousands or over a thousand different nitazine 
variants and we with all kinds of different potencies and we don't have test strips for those i mean mm -hmm. they might exist but they're not like they're not as uh, easily acquirable as the ones for fentanyl and for benzos so yeah so it's getting maybe maybe it's not becoming more concentrated but it's becoming more adulterated with like other things is that is that what you're seeing yeah it's definitely uh we're getting like a wider spread of different analogs of things or different classes of similar drugs um a lot of research chemicals uh like research variants of benzos or opioids where they're just they're not as constrained by precursor laws like maybe the precursors for these aren't as controlled because no one makes them and now they're just <laughs> reaching into the books of of oh what's been made but kind of tossed away scientifically and how can we build that and how can we make that and how can we sell that so you mentioned benzos, which is which is good. I have a, had a whole question laid out for benzos, but so you're saying you're finding, and this has been widely reported by other folks that like people are finding benzo diazepine type drugs mixed in with their fentanyl. Um, can you talk about why that is so dangerous? Yeah, it's there's a, kind of from a, a couple of different angles. So benzos do repress breathing. Not to the extent of uh, of fentanyl and other opioids, but they do. It do does happen, and it can kind of create a more synergistic, difficult to deal with overdose scenario because the benzos don't respond to naloxone, like only opioids respond to naloxone. So if you have, you're hitting people with a bunch of naloxone because you think they're overdosing and they're still not, maybe they're breathing, but they're definitely still unconscious. Um, you know, that could be a thing. Also, they, they act really quickly. Uh, so people who aren't expecting them can go, but if they had non-benzodope would like do their hit and like just get up and walk around. But if it's benzodope, maybe they do their hit. They start walking around and 10, 15 minutes later, the benzos hit them and they're on their face unexpectedly. So they're they're not enough like faster way faster like if you're super unexpected to the point where people have complained about the benzodope making them vulnerable you know vulnerable to assault to robbery um well, yeah because you're just like flopped on a bed like you're just like you're nodding you're nodding you're, you're, you're nodding like, way you're harder not. than you expected yeah and so this and is it is it clear at all that like people wanted benzodiazepines in their drugs that there was a demand for this or is this just was like well fentanyl's hard to get they shut down the shipping lanes we can uh, you know our scientists in some basement somewhere are like why don't we try benzos like i i have never done benzos i don't know what they do i've only like my the biggest knowledge dump i ever got around benzos was when like jordan peterson got addicted to them and then fucking what he like what his daughter kidnapped him and sent him to russia and they put him in a coma for a month like i know that benzos are bad and that withdrawal is particularly nasty but like what do benzos do and what is the effect of them compared to just like fentanyl which is like from my understanding just like a straight kind of painkiller right benzos aren't painkillers they have um anti-anxiety effects and they have hypnotic sedative effects and those are their primary uses 
So uh, most people, especially when benzos first got onto the scene, did not want them in there. They were like, hey, I, this, I don't like how this down makes me feel. It knocks me out super fast. It doesn't do anything for my pain because maybe there's a ton of benzos and just a little bit of down or a little bit of fentanyl. Um, and then, but you know, there's always a portion of people who are like, yeah, I like how this makes me feel. And then there are people who get physiologically addicted to the benzo dope because maybe they've been doing it for a while and they don't even really know. And now they have to have it. Otherwise, they're going to go through a... a an especially difficult withdrawal because as you mentioned uh yeah the 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 withdrawal scenario for benzos is really bad and really if you want to get off them requires very careful tapering and that just doesn't really happen yeah like like getting dope sick on off opioids or fentanyl is like awful and bad and terrible but like from my understanding like getting dope sick off off and trying to get off benzos is like one incredibly like shitty on a personal and painful and shitty like to deal with on a personal level. And then like requires like actual medical experts to like guide you off of the drugs essentially right? to do it safely. Yeah. Otherwise there's risks of like seizures, coma, death. Like it's really serious to, to just kind of go off Benzo's cold Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the other things that, you know, I, I went through your page, I went through, you know, the, 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 all the drugs you guys posted recently. And like, I read that cracked article that uh, Dana Larson, your boss, I assume wrote, I think in earlier this year, in like February or March. And one, one thing that jumps out at me is like caffeine, caffeine, powdered caffeine kind of seems to be in every single, well, almost, almost every single uh, kind of drug, especially stuff that's sold as down. Why, why is caffeine in all of the drugs? Uh, from my understanding, um, caffeine works uh, both in conjunction with opioids um, uh, in kind of a, a few ways to uh, speed up the absorption process, whether that be to lower its um, combustion point uh, or as sort of synergistically inside the body, which is why in like T3s, for example, there's a small amount of caffeine along with their small amount of opioid. So it's just like a helps you helps your body kind of absorb it faster and better. Mm -hmm. And it's also water soluble. So like same thing with the sugars that are often found in in down, uh, and so is fentanyl. So if you're doing a shot, then you want to have all as many things in there that are that is water soluble as possible, less like crap that needs to be picked up through a filter. Okay, well, so again, I come back to this and it's like, I'm grateful that like you guys in Vancouver are doing this. And honestly, it seems like an extremely important public health service. And in that vein, like, would you be mad if the government just started doing this at scale, like in the same way that you do it, like with no barriers for free, that sort of thing? Uh, not at all. Like uh, we we want that to happen. Like I said, we are, we're only catching such a small amount of the overall clientele that are using substances and uh even places throughout bc that are open and available um you know in kamloops in Kelowna, in nelson you know places opening up in terrace there's a bunch of places on the island like substance ubic um they're just they're 
all available, but they don't have nearly the amount of, of flow as we do. And that's because, you know, the populations are a lot smaller and things like that. But if, you know, if each health authority wanted to open up uh, a site like ours in every spot, like every neighborhood in town, in the province, wherever, um, I'd be all for it. I think it'd be a great idea. It's just that no one really wants to foot that bill. Well, and like money-wise, is it is it a bill thing or is it really just a like, uh, this is like gross thing? Because it's like, how much money are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, so a couple, a piece of kit, right? Like a mass spectrometer, which I don't know, how much is a mass spectrometer uh, like roughly cost? Our, our, the infrareds that we have cost of around 50 grand. Okay, so like a decent capital cost on like the original set of kit. And then you got to like, you got to have few staff, like a few people who work there who like know how to operate, a few people to work the front desk. Like at the end of the, and you got to pay rent. Like you're not talking about a, a, a super expensive high-end healthcare operation. You're not running like surgeries. You're not like, you don't have like intensivists and surgeons and nurses and, and like fancy high-paid healthcare people everywhere. Like this, this is at the end of the day, like relatively affordable. For sure. Right? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, as far as these kinds of more scientific interventions go, you know, this model is the least expensive with this kind of stuff. You know, even places like, um, you know, Insight, which does, like, VCH does have uh, a, like, Vancouver Crystal Health does have uh, a machine that does go there a couple of days a week and do testing and stuff like that. But it's just not very well supported. It's just not, it's not there every day. And I don't know, I, I don't really know why. <laughs> well, I mean, I have, I have my own speculation about why, which is that like large or like wide scale drug checking really kind of makes clear one of the kind of contradictions at the heart of the, the public health or the public response, the government's response to the drug poisoning crisis, right? Which is like, it has been framed as like an opioid crisis, right? It's been framed as it's this evil molecule that's killing people. And it's like molecules, a molecule. Like my, my partner was offered fentanyl at the hospital when she had our baby, like hospital grade fentanyl administered in a way that is monitored by medical experts. So you know what you're getting, you know, what's on the tin, you've got the potency and the whole thing right there. Like that's, I mean, it's, you got to treat it with care, but it's not dangerous. What's dangerous is when all of these, you just, you're, people are just spinning the wheel every time they go buy drugs, right? Like they don't know what's on the tin. They don't know the potency. They don't know what, they don't even know what's in it, <laughs> right? Like imagine uh, like going to the grocery store and buying food and just being like, what's in it? I don't fucking know. You know, <laughs> like it's food. Be happy you're getting food. It's, it's wild to me that like, the state is so dramatically uninterested in knowing what's in the drug supply that's killing so many people. And so like my hypothesis is that like, Oh, if, if wide scale drug checking was to become real, it's really just makes clear that like, okay, the problem is poison drugs. The problem is, is that these drugs need to be legalized and regulated. Right. And that's just like a bridge too far for the people who are in charge. Right. Like actually saying, oh, well, we just need to be able to have a, a place where people could go where they know what drugs they're getting. They know the potency. They know the name of the drug. But like there is simply 
you know, no appetite at our current, you know, political leaders to actually take that step. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, drugs, they're, you know, humans have been using substances since probably before we were humans. You know, it's just, it's like a, a natural thing. Neanderthals yeah. getting, getting whacked yeah, on, on whatever on, they could find. On, on yeah. rotting fruit, you know, like it's just, it's just how it goes. <laughs> um, and so, you know, finding ways to support that in sensible, safe ways. Like I'm totally down for the idea of safe supply. If everyone could go to, if I didn't have need my job because everyone could just go to a shop to get what they need. That'd be fantastic. I just, it's it's so difficult to get that kind of political will to fight the whole concept of the drug war and the stigma involved and just kind of sit back and understand that it's it's a natural thing to do and we should be supporting that. We do it for alcohol, we do it for cigarettes, you know, probably to our detriment, but... It's, you know, it's been shown that people can, you know, acquire these regulated substances and use them and it being socially acceptable. So why not everything else? Diet Coke, man, man, people getting off Diet Coke have a, can have had some very negative reactions. (laughs) You just go to the grocery store and get that shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, a lot of those sugar substitutes have their own kind of like interesting effects in the brain and caffeine. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, so I I did write a piece um, that, you know, I will link to in the show notes and like, which does kind of walk through where we're at in Alberta when it comes to drug checking. Um, The the nonprofit AWARE, which is uh, an acronym that I'm I'm not going to try and read out online, but the, the, the organization aware is, has got approval from the federal government and has lined up the funds to do a drug checking, a mobile drug checking pilot that they're going to run out of a van in Calgary. And I spoke with them and they are hopeful to get that program off the ground by like first quarter of next year. Um, you know, they did complain and they did have real concerns about, you know, how much paperwork and, and work they had to do just to kind of get the program off the ground because of uh, decriminalization and is such a thing. And because AHS, the, the, the health authority here is like, it, there's just a lot of hoops for them to jump through in order to get this uh, pilot off the ground and they're working on it, but you know, they're frustrated and there is no, uh, no, no other like near, project that is near to getting off the ground when it comes to drug checking in Alberta. Uh, One of our city councilors here in Edmonton has asked uh, city administration to look into drug checking. um, And that report is going to be coming back to city council in September. And so I will be keeping an eye out for that at Edmonton city council to see what city admin comes up with. Um, You know, I, I did mention decrim like, the city of Calgary is not looking at decrim, but the city of Edmonton is currently looking at decrim. They haven't put in the request to the uh, government of Canada yet on decrim. It has, so they're still kind of looking at it. But has decrim made your life any e- your lives any easier? I mean, I guess decrim just happened recently in BC. You guys, and you guys were operating before decriminalization was a reality. But has has decriminalization like? noticeably changed anything about the way you got you folks run your operation not particularly it's not even 
uh, officially in play until January anyway. Uh, and oh really? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and like, uh, there's been a kind of unofficial decriminalization for a lot of people here, where the cops have just kind of said, "Yeah, there's a lot of provincial." go ahead as far as safe consumption sites go there's very few like federally mandated ones uh but there's lots of provincially mandated ones including ourselves even though we don't offer consumption site we are consumption spaces we operate under the same kind of go ahead from the health authority um but uh you know the hope is that it it really ends up easing up for our clientele you know, it's it's a bummer to hear. Oh well, you know, I from a client, I, I just got all my stuff taken, and now I got to go find new stuff because that's not harm reduction. That's just causing a problem. But um, yeah, that's just oh, cops like taking people's property, right? Yeah, taking people's property, taking people's medicine. You know, and it's just, and they don't think about it that way, but that's how it is. And uh, the hopefully when that shuffles down a bit and decrim kind of officially kicks in, then we'll hear fewer of those stories. Yeah. Like one of the more um, incoherent arguments you hear, uh, especially from uh, the Alberta association of police chief police chiefs who have, who have come out very publicly against decrim here in Alberta. And they've said, well, there's already de facto decrim anyways. So we're not going to support decrim because there's already de facto decrim. Well, it's like, what what's the what's the problem then <laughs> like, yeah. why why are you against decrim <laughs> yeah well exactly and de facto decrim doesn't actually mean anything because it's not protected in any way a cop can still with de facto decrim decide to be an asshole and yeah and rough somebody up for using and that's just like no it needs to be legally enshrined if you want to actually put some force behind it and put some emphasis behind it otherwise you're just saying well it, it kind of exists so it's fine that's not not fine yeah, no, it's 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 fundamentally incoherent and like it's so uh like makes me so frustrated to read that statement. Like our, Kenny said the same thing too. It's like, "Oh yeah, there's already de facto decrim." So like, but the, it would be dangerous to move ahead with real decrim for reasons that are never fully explained. It's uh so yeah, like I think drug checking has both like power in two ways, right? Like one it has the power to just like give people more information, help them make safer decisions so that they hopefully do not die. And the other power that I think drug checking has, and which is why I think the authorities have been so reluctant to kind of embrace it on a wide scale, is that it has real narrative power. Uh, you know, it would really, if there was, if this information was collected and we had a reasonable snapshot of what was in the illicit drug supply, all the fucked up shit that was in the illicit drug supply on a regular basis, it would really lay bare the realities of the, the crisis that we face, the drug poisoning crisis that we face. If we knew what kind of poison drugs that people were dealing with on a, on a daily basis, less people would die. But that narrative power, I think, is why you see reactionary forces like the UCP, like police chiefs, kind of push back against drug checking or decriminalization because, you know, it's far easier to just blame, you know, the evil people who are using drugs or or even the evil molecule that they've they're putting in their body rather than actually getting to the real solution which is like legalizing and regulating criminalized drugs so that people don't die because people are dying every day <laughs> yeah that that's my there you go there's my soapbox pitch for <laughs> drug uh drug checking uh tell your congressman 
your MP, your city councilor. Um, uh, Quentin, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate it. How can people, if people do want to get their drugs tested at Get Your Drugs Tested, what is the process? How can people do that? Well, if they want to uh, send stuff in by mail, we take stuff from all over Canada. Um, you can email us at info at getyourdrugstested.com and we will relay to you the mailing address and the mailing procedures. Uh, you can also double check all that information on our website, getyourdrugstested.com. Uh, if people are in Vancouver uh, or in the lower mainland or feel like making the journey for whatever reason, um, our, <laughs> our, uh, our physical location is at 880 East Hastings in Vancouver. And uh, we're open 12 to 8 every single day. Brilliant. And uh, yes, we will link to the website. Uh, I mean, drugs do come in to your shop from Calgary and Edmonton and, and other places in Alberta. So like... Uh, it never hurts to check as well as to see if something that you might have might, might have made its way to get your drugs tested. Um, Quinton, I want to thank you so much for coming on and having this very fun conversation about the important service that you folks are providing at Get Your Drugs Tested. Um, also, folks, if you like this podcast, feel like what we do, we're, we're finally back from our summer break. Uh, so that means that I, I've got to ask for money. So if you want to join the 500 other folks who help keep this independent media project going it's very easy uh, there is a link in the show notes or you can go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons put in your credit card uh, kick in a little bit of money every month we would really appreciate it uh, also if you have any notes thoughts comments uh, i am very easy to get a hold of you can reach me by email at duncan k at progress i am also on twitter far too often uh, at, at at duncan kinney uh do you have any socials that you want to put out there for uh for yourself or for get your drugs tested quinton uh for get your drugs tested we're on twitter instagram and facebook our twitter is gydt canada um and instagram and facebook should just be get your drugs tested and uh yeah uh, we love comments we put posts up about uh different stuff we see including alerts of particularly worrisome stuff so always good to keep an eye on that all right. Well, thank you to Jim Story for editing the podcast. Thank you to Cosmic Famu Communist for our amazing theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>